the grit what's up y'all this is jonathan wiseman with the grit and today is going to be another episode where i've got somebody i've been trying to get in here for over a year now i've got matt morgan of food and beverage insurance agency in here we've done business together for the last 20 years thankful to have him on the show you're a busy man i also know you do a lot of traveling so thank you for coming on the show today man oh thanks for having me i'm sorry it took so long to get me in here <laughs> yeah you're always all over the place so i appreciate you making the time for us so let's go ahead and start tell me you're with fmbia which is food and beverage insurance insurance agency i always get tongue-tied when i say that to the staff as well tell us exactly what it is you do what your niche is in insurance well, we specialize in providing insurance to the hospitality marketplace, whether you're a nightclub, bar, restaurant, hotel, anything in the hospitality range. Not to say we don't do other commercial liability insurance, but our main focus has been for the last 17 years, well, 22 years I've been doing this, but 17 years we've been in business, it's been the hospitality marketplace. And we currently have north of almost 500 clients. Damn. Yeah. That's a lot. Is that all here in Texas? Uh, 90%, 95% are. Okay, cool. Well, I want to take it back for the aspiring entrepreneurs and people looking to possibly get into the insurance business. How was it, how, how was it that you got started? When did you get started? I wasn't what you would call the perfect college student. You know, I graduated with a 2.8 and the only job offer I got was to go actually work for Liberty Mutual. And I told my parents about it and they actually had a, a small little commercial insurance agency. And my father's like, Hey, why do you want to go do that? Come work for me. We'll split 50, 50, the commissions. I'll teach you the business. I'll give you a, a computer and a desk and you pay for your, your expenses, but you know, I'll split it with you. And I was like, yeah, what the heck? I'll give it a try. I'm not going to lie. First year I made $18,000. I was waiting tables. I was doing everything I could. And I really had to give up my twenties to just really focus on this working 60, 80 hours, weeks, uh, 80 hour weeks going, you know, leaving work, then going to wait tables, bartend, you know, or manage a restaurant. And when I first got started, I did, you know, my parents' agency did everything. They did commercial uh, for contractors, clubs, whatever, whatever came to their way. Sure. And the way I got into this specific niche, which everyone thought I was crazy for doing, uh, truth be told, I had a, a meeting with a contractor in Pasadena. I lived in Jersey Village at the time. He said, look, if you want to meet me, our, our time is at five. My time for meeting people is at five in the morning. Show up. We'll sit down and talk. I had to get up around three o'clock in the morning, get ready, make that drive, sit there. And I didn't close. I didn't get even come close to getting the deal. And I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking to myself, why am I doing this at five in the freaking morning? If I'm going to be dealing with someone at five o'clock in the morning, I want it to be because we haven't gone to bed yet. Not because we have to get up early. <laughs> I like that attitude. And, you know, and again, as I said before, I was not what you would call the best of students. It's really because I spent a lot of my times in the bars, meaning I got to know all the bar owners. And so I kind of went back to my roots, went back. To, I, I went to A&M and Texas Tech, went back to College Station, went to guys like Don Ganter and Gary Seaback. They're not around anymore, but and said, look, you know, I've spent enough money in your clubs. Won't you give me a chance to earn some of that back? And started building my book of business in the bar business. Did the same thing up in Lubbock. And, you know, it just kind of took years, but it took off from there. How old were you when you started and went to go work with your dad? 23. 23 years old. And how long did you work with your dad until you branched off on your own? Almost, almost six years. I actually, my father and I are extremely close. And um, unfortunately, we don't work well together. It's two chiefs, one tribe. 
Sure. And I remember we were driving home from San Antonio from a convention and I, we didn't say two words to each other on that three and a half hour drive. And I turned to my father and I said, Hey dad, I want to buy my book of business from you. Um, I don't, I don't like where our relationship is going and I, and I see things, how to do things differently. My father was still all about, you know, the old way I wanted to, to do it the new way. And he, uh, he didn't think I was serious. I had been, actually been saving my money and I made him an offer. He accepted it and I left him on my, the day before my 30th birthday. Wow. So I started my business on my 30th birthday. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So how much was that? to buy that book of business from him. It was uh, about 200,000 up front and then I had to pay him a portion of the commissions for the five years. That's a lot of money when you're yeah. 29 years old, 30 yeah. years old. Yeah, it was. How did he take that? He did understood, you? he understood because we, you know, again, we were really, really tight and we were- And really I know y'all are still tight. Yeah, we yeah, are today. Absolutely. And, oh, it, it, we, we got that relationship back almost immediately after I left. And he understood that I, I'm, I'm, I'm my father's son, as they say, and he, no more could he work for someone else. Can I work for someone else? Sure. I was raised to, to be an entrepreneur. So when you took that leap, how did that feel? I had a lie. I mean, there was a point there where I was scared. I mean, I was married at the time to someone different and you know, she was on board with the idea, but you know, what made, what made it easier for me is when I left, I had a book of business that so you I had was, income, coming, I had income in. coming in from day one. We were, we worked out of our house for the first uh, three years and I, you know, I was, I was able to stay profitable because of my overhead was myself, my ex-wife and one employee. And so I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I, I tip my hat to the entrepreneur who takes every dime he's got and, and in the starts out to a new company that he doesn't know if he's going to have client one. Thankfully I didn't have that, but I mean, I had to build that book of business and it took me that seven years to do that while you're with your dad. I was, and does he still concentrate on all the other types of insurance while you went to hospitality at yeah, the time? At the time. Yeah. He, he stayed doing everything and we, we made a deal. We never compete against each other and we still have that deal. My, my father's since retired, but my mother, my little brother still have the agency and we don't ever compete with each other. But, they've really gone away from the bars and more to construction. They're, they're actually one of the right, largest writers in Texas for contractors like um, steel erectors and steel fabricators. So I'm assuming now they don't still think you're crazy for no, hospitality. No, not at all. It, it worked out. It took me a lot, many, many, many years. Well, how long you been doing this now? Uh, it'll be 20, it was 22 years back on December 17th. Damn. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. Well, congratulations yeah. on all that success. And I, uh, you know, I, it's what I, I, everyone asks me, how did I stick it out? And I said, you know, honestly, I love my job. I love my clients and I love the people that work for me. Yeah. And it makes it going to work really, really easy for me. Well, and you used to love the bars and Yeah, and I still too, get to so go. That, I mean, who is it? That's always a good perk, right? Yeah, who's not going to like the fact that I know everybody in the bar business. When I go out, I'm not waiting for the line. all the way. I don't, if I don't want to pay for drinks, they give them to me. I mean, it's just... You know, I, it's, it's great. I get to go to anything and do anything in town, and especially when the Super Bowl's here. I'm at every major party, because, and I don't have to pay for it. Oh, I know this all too well. I mean, I own nightclubs, <laughs> exactly. bars, and restaurants well, for many years. That's and, how we know each other from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we definitely had some great times in that business. Oh, yeah. So for the entrepreneurs or people out there aspiring that want to get into the insurance business, you left your dad. You already had a book of business. You were going on three years uh, out of the house as a uh, uh, 
kind of a three-man operation, if you will. At what point did you decide it's time to go ahead and get an office? Was that Did that expansion come from more staff requirements, <laughs> more book of business? You finally had enough over uh, income where you said, okay, it's worth investing. I need to get out of my house. Well, it, it kind of happened. My ex and I got divorced, and I wanted to bury my head into something, and I felt like work was the way to do it. And so I made, I made, I'm not going to lie. I made a lot of bad mistakes. Uh, I've never been classically trained by, you know, working for some fortune 500 company or going to Harvard or anywhere like that. Understood. And so I made a lot of mistakes, hired way too many people, got, got the company in serious debt, uh, and had to essentially start all over. I, I, uh, moved back into now a, you know, I had an office for about four years and then I fired everybody and moved back into my now townhouse that I had at the time. Let's go back to that. Tell me at, at what point did it get to where, and this happens within every business, right. you get in over your head, you start not seeing the profits, you start eating into any savings that you might have. And, and the business starts going down. At what point do you throw that life vest out there and, and make those decisions to cut it? What was the tipping for you where you made that decision? Honestly, I, I still remember to this day, I would drive home in tears. I was so stressed out. And I just, you know, I was told by lots of friends, hey, file bankruptcy, you can, you know, start all over. And I, I actually went down that path for a little bit. And then I started thinking about it. And I, it's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to stand up, man up and, and fight it. And the best way to do that was to start all over. So i I felt like, you know, we weren't performing the people that were working for me weren't performing at the level I needed to sustain them having them there. And so I didn't have a problem letting them go. And yes, it, you know, I lost a lot of business cause I didn't have the power, the, the manpower to maintain it, but I just re, you know, I was making more money now and able cause I had no overhead. I was the overhead and then I hired one person. And so I had one person as an overhead. And I, you know, again, we were, I converted my garage in my townhouse into an office. Um, actually your brother did it. Um, and then I, um, you know, started regrowing everything and then eventually got married again, had a kid. And when we moved out to Sugarland, that's when I got an office again. But by that time I had to under, I, I kind of understood what I did wrong and dug myself out of debt. I mean, it was a lot of, you know, there was weeks, I'm not gonna lie. I pay my, I've never missed a paycheck to an employee. I have missed many a paychecks to myself. Sure, I, I had a my house, my car repossessed. I had a, I almost lost my townhouse because uh, I couldn't pay my mortgage, and um, but I just kept grinding and grinding. You know, if I had fourteen dollars in my bank account at the end of the week after paying everyone, I felt like okay, great, that was a rich. win. I'm, I'm rich. I got some money, but I never gave up, and 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 that's the thing I would always tell anybody who's facing that that you know a financial crisis from mistakes they made or, or mistakes someone else that works for them made is is just stay focused put blinders on and and focus on what's in front of you instead of what's down the road in front of you and tackle them one step at a time you know an analogy i like to give is is you know when i was looking at that half a million dollars in debt it's a mountain and there's really two ways i can go about this i can sit there and worry about the fact that i don't know how to climb a mountain i don't even know what tools i need to climb a mountain or I can say, hell, I'm just gonna run up that mountain and maybe today I'll climb up three steps and fall down two and tomorrow I'll climb up four and fall down one and next day. But by the time I get to the top of that mountain, the other person is still sitting there wondering how the heck I'm gonna get up that mountain. And that's exactly what I did. I just, I just pounded away and, 
got back to my roots of, you know, of making cold calls, knocking on doors and doing everything I needed to do and, and dug myself out of it in about three years, three and a half years. And it's taken off since then because now all that hard work, I didn't have the debt that I had to pay back. It was all profit now. Yeah. And, and I met my amazing wife who really helped push me to be even more than I was. I, I do have to give her props for that. And then having a child always makes things. <laughs> yeah. Well, and tell me about that. You mentioned the family. So you're remarried now. Yes. And you have children. How many children do I you have? Two beautiful uh, uh, kids. I have a nine-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter. Okay. And what area of town are y'all in now? Here. Well, in Richmond. Richmond. Yeah. We built our dream house out there about two years ago. That's amazing. Now, the analogy you gave, I loved it about mountain climbing. I know just recently you went and actually climbed a mountain. Yes. What did I, you go do? Tell me about uh, that. I went to Mount Everest and we, we did base camp. Uh, you know, I'd love to do uh, the summit, but it's still eight days of, of grueling hiking, you know, sometimes climbing over rocks to get where you're going. Um, you know, I'll, I'll admit that I underestimated the challenge and it was a little bit tougher than had I exercised more or trained more for it, but it was a experience of a lifetime. And it's one of those, especially the day we uh, got to uh, base camp, it was uh, word. I, I didn't have words to describe it to someone. It was so beautiful. Well, one thing that I love about what you do, and I live vicariously through you half the time, <laughs> it, it's, you know, there's a lot of people that work their ass to death. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs that just work 24 seven. They never take time for themselves. The one thing I love about what you do is you're one of the few that I've seen that actually takes time out for yourself, for your family. You do a ton of traveling. You know, you have a, a photography um, hobby, I believe. Yep. Tell me, you know, how do you allocate the time for that during the year? Why is that so important to you? And how would you maybe suggest somebody is able to take, you know, time out for themselves while still growing a business, right. still managing your people. How are you able to do it? And why have you decided to do that? Well, I mean, we'll start with how, when I was a kid growing up, my father always told me, um, work smart, not hard. And so when I left him, this is one of the biggest reasons why I left. This was before paper, you know, going paperless was an easy task to do. Like today, there was no cloud or anything like that. But I wanted to, I had a dream when I started my agency that there would come a day, of course there was no iPads either back then. So I, if I had a laptop and internet, I could work anywhere in the world. And so I started from day one being paperless. And so the reason how I'm able to do it is, you know, of course now we have iPads on my iPad is my entire company. And so if a client calls me, and needs the information on their policy or they need to know what they paid for something or something like that. All I got to do or my phone is pull it up real quick, solve it right there. Problem solved. If they need a certificate or something like that, I shoot off an email to whoever the CSR for it is and, and they handle it cause they handle all the paperwork. Now I'm, I'm more on the sales side and just managing the business now, but you know, as why I just feel, you know, I saw a Snoopy cartoon the other day and it, it's perfect. And this really defines how I live my life. Charlie Brown's sitting next to Snoopy and Charlie Brown says, to Snoopy, you only live once. And Char and Snoopy says, no, Charlie Brown, you, you live every day. You only die once. Wow. And, and that's really why, why traveling for me, I mean, I'm a wanderlust and it, it, you know, I've never been able to sit into one place, but traveling for me is something that it, it just re, re whether it's a weekend getaway to New York or, or 
going to the other side of the world for three, three weeks, it re-energizes my batteries. And, you know, I'm blessed to have a wife that I love to travel with and she loves to travel with me. And, and, you know, my kids, they are fortunate enough. They get to go see some really cool places. But for me, it's just, it just, it's just a recharge. And I just believe that if you want to be successful in business, if you want to be successful in life, you have to be successful in yourself. I you really that. do. You really do. That. Because again, you live every day. You only die once. And I want to live those days. You know, and you never know when that day is going to come. What is your favorite place that you've traveled to? Before I met my wife, actually a couple of weeks before, I, or a couple of months before I met my wife, I had been dating this girl and we had broken up, but I, I'm, I'm admittedly, I'm horrible at breaking up with people. And she, we, she just couldn't let go. And I woke up one day and I said, you know what? I've always said I want to go to Australia. I'm going to Australia. And no one believed me. A week later, I went to Australia for two months. And I went uh, backpacking and I'm an avid, avid scuba diver. I went diving along the East Coast, went diving with great white sharks, went down to Tasmania Island and, and dove with leafy sea dragons. I went over to New Zealand and dove in some beautiful place called the Poor Nights. I've and, seen the pictures. It's absolutely yeah, amazing. And, and I just, you know, and I was able to run my business there because I had a laptop and, and you know, thankfully for me, I, I'm not, I'm a night owl. So, you know, that 13 hour difference or 12 hour difference didn't bother me because if anything, I loved it because I could be having fun all day and then work a few hours at night and nobody knows the difference. Sure. And the only clients that even knew I was not in the country were the ones that I just, that are close enough that, you know, I told them. Did you have any staff here that was helping I, you? Yeah, I had one employee at the time. One employee. Yeah. So a laptop, one employee and you're traveling. Yeah. That's again, amazing. Again, work smart, not hard. What is your favorite place that you've dove at? So I would have to say that I've got three. First of all is the Great Barrier Reef. I've been, I mean, blessed to have moments in my life when nature or man-made objects have taken my breath away, going to see the Taj Mahal. But when I dove in the water for the first time at the Great Barrier Reef, I remember I had my camera and I forgot to even look at my oxygen level and I ran out of air, 60 <laughs> feet under the water. Oh, I'm like, oh, oh, oh crap, it's time to go up. And, you know, I got on the, uh, back on the dive boat and tore my stuff apart before they could check my air. Because if you get caught with running out of air, they won't let you dive for the rest oh, of the day. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. So I, I tore it apart before they even had a chance. So the second one would be the truck lagoon. It's a, uh, it was more or less the Japanese's Pearl Harbor. We snuck attack them. They found out though, and got all their, most of their destroyers out, but we sunk 110, I think it's 110 ships. And what's so awesome about it is you could actually, I mean, it's so deep. There's not a lot of divers that go down there. I mean, the shallowest dive is a hundred and hundred feet deep or That's so. That's deep. Yeah. I but, mean, you only get we, a few minutes down there. Well, I'm a, I'm a tech diver, so I got a lot more time than that. But the deepest dive we did on that one was 180 feet. Damn. And it was amazing. It was on the, the Maru, the San Francisco Maru. Um, but uh, it's an amazing, just all the ships and there's skulls and bones and live torpedoes and uh, sake bottles and, and all that. And then my third is the Yangala. And that was in um, Australia as well. And I remember it, it took me a day and a half to get there. Australia doesn't have our highways. So just going from say Houston to Dallas, which is what a four hour drive, it's more like a nine hour drive, eight hour drive. Wow. Um, so I remember taking all day to get there, getting there, being upset that my travel agent even sent me all the way out here. I'm staying in this dorm style shack. <laughs> and I'm like, I just want to go to my next spot tomorrow. And I call her and she said, just, 
I hadn't really done any research on it. Just do the dive and then call me. I remember I did the dive. I call I, and when we finally got back, I was calling her saying, how do we extend my, my stay here? I want <laughs> to stay here. Um, you know, it was, it's just, it's a ship that was lost at sea in 1911, I believe it was. Wow. And there's no reefs 70 miles in any direction. And so all, everything that lives in the, in the bar, in the, uh, on the barrier reef lives on here. So you got turtles bigger, as big as me. I mean, there was a manta ray that had to be 10 feet across and it's right, was right above me. Sea snakes. I mean, everything That's crazy. that you, how big was the ship? It was only maybe a hundred feet. And it had that much life going on around. Oh yeah. Cause it was nothing, the only thing. It's the only thing. That's crazy. And then the most exciting dive I've ever done has to be the great white shark. Yeah. You know, diving with the great white sharks and touching them. In a cage? Or oh, out? of course, in a cage. I'm, I'm going to do it out of a cage in the Guadalupe because the sharks there are, were so new to diving there, so they're not, they're not as aggressive. Where in the Barrier Reef and in Africa, we feed them, and so they, they expect it, and yeah. they get angry. And they, but it was so cool. They're hitting the cage. They're thrashing at the cage. It was really, really neat. Yeah, I'll pass on that one. Uh, it, was, it was awesome. No. I can't wait to take my kids. Yeah, <laughs> leave them in the boat, please. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you sharing those stories. Yeah, no and, I, and I really appreciate you coming on and letting people know, uh, you know, a little bit more about the insurance business. Of course. I wanted to move on to our section that we call Rapid Fire, okay. where I'm just going to hit you up with some questions related to your business. This is going to be for other people looking to get insurance. Some of the questions are asking Google, or maybe just other people want to know about exactly what it is you do. Number one question, what is liquor liability insurance? Easy, easy question. So... When someone leaves a, uh, an establishment, unfortunately for the club, you're responsible for their actions. And, so, and when you say when somebody leaves, you mean like a patron leaves? Patron, yeah. Patron. When a patron You've been leaves. having a good night you, and you had a few drinks and you leave. You know, unfortunately, car accidents happen and there's going to be a liability there. And because you're the one who served the alcohol, you, the liability's on you. And um, so what this coverage does is it helps cover that that lawsuit should want to arise from, from someone from drinking, you know, whether they hit a pole, hit, hit another car or, or unfortunately kill someone, this is what protects you. And you know, it is the most expensive part of an insurance package for a bar or a restaurant. And is that liquor liability? What is restaurant insurance? Is that the same thing as liquor liability? Well, no, that's a broad term. I mean, within the restaurant, you've got your general liability, which covers you for slip and falls, um, food poisoning, chip tooth, anything like that. Something falls off the wall, hits you in the head. And what is that insurance called? General liability. Okay. And pretty much what happens on the premises other than a fight, and that's assault and battery, and which will cover you for, for fights, and they happen. So assault and battery coverage is a different coverage uh, that you need to get? 100%. Okay, Definitely. so what are the different coverages inside of a bar or a restaurant? What are all the different types? So uh, again, you have the general liability, which you're most likely required to have by your lease. Most landlords do require you to have a million dollars general liability. Um, so you got your general liability, and like I, I just described that, you have your assault and battery, and that um, again covers you for fights. And um, then you have liquor liability, which is what I was talking about before, it covers you from the establishment, someone has too much to drink. You have what's called an umbrella or excess liability that goes over your underlying policies, the general liability, the liquor liability, the assault battery, and increases those limits by a million each level. So you can go up to however many millions you want. Then you have workers' comp or non-subscription. Those two coverages cover your employees. So if, someone, if one of your employees gets hurt, 
And then you have some other minor other types of coverages like higher non-auto, which covers if you're running an errand or uh, cyber liability, if someone breaks in and steals your credit card uh, transactions. Mm-hmm. You know, of course you have, we live in such a litig- litigious world now, you've got your EPLI, which is Employment Practice Liability Insurance, and that covers for sexual harassment and stuff like that. But the big, the big three, well really four, are the general liability, assault and battery, liquor liability, and some coverage for your employees. Okay, and let's break that down a little bit. So how much does liquor liability cost? So it's a, it's a factor of a formula. They take their sales and they divide it by a thousand and then they times it by a rate. And that rate is determined by a few factors. Your loss history, your type of business. Are you a restaurant or are you a bar? If you're a bar, do you have a dance floor? If you have a dance floor, do you have a DJ? Do you, if you, do you have live entertainment? If so, what kind of live entertainment? So they're taking everything into effect. Of, of course, a hundred percent. And then those are the, and then those are the major f- factors right there. They take that rate. It times it by your sales, and then that's how they get the premium. So if you look at, I'll just give you kind of an example. If you look at a restaurant, I'll give you uh, two examples. I'll give you a restaurant that does million dollars in sales, total sales. 30% of that's liquor. So the rest is all food. Their premium, pure premium before taxes and fees and all that, probably around $7,000. A year. A year. You get a nightclub that does a million dollars and maybe 80% liquor, 20% food. So not a nightclub, so a bar. Their premium would probably be closer to 25,000. Okay. You get a nightclub that does a million, their premium probably closer to 30 to 35,000. Okay. Is liquor liability required in Texas? Now there's no law that says that, that you have to carry it. And very few landlords have that as a lease requirement. I do see it from time to time, but it's not very common. But here's what I tell everybody who uh, looks at the price and goes, oh, I, don't, I just can't afford that. I always tell them you can not not afford it because tell me this, did you go and get a loan from your friends, dive into your savings, go to a bank and start this bar just to turn it over because you didn't want to buy liquor liability to somebody you get in a, that gets in a car accident and sues you? No, you did this because this is your future. This is what you want to do with your living, your life. And now you need to protect that just like you would your family. This, is a, this is a baby. Your business is a baby. And you need to protect that baby with, in this case, insurance. And so, it, and I, I'll tell you this, if you have a liquor liability lawsuit and someone's died, whether you have insurance or not, they're going to sue you. And when they sue you, you're gonna have to go get an attorney. And you're not gonna go get your uncle Bob who does traffic court, <laughs> yeah. you're gonna have to go get a very small select few of attorneys that specialize in dram shop liability because they know the ins and outs of this or you're going to lose for sure. Those guys are not cheap. They're not $150 an hour. They're not even $500 an hour. A lot of those guys are six, seven, $800 an hour. I know most of them. Yeah. And, and so you're gonna spend, if someone has passed away, you could spend a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars in legal expenses. Even if you're a bar that does two, three million dollars a year, that's a lot of money. Yeah, and even if you beat the case and win, you're still going to spend that money just exactly. on legal just, expenses. Just to get out of it. Not to mention if you're found guilty. Exactly. And I'll tell you this: when there's a death involved, I see the claims usually almost topping out at a million dollars or pretty freaking close. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And you mentioned dram shop. Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with that term, but 
explain to the audience what dram shop means. It's just another term for liquor uh, liability. Your liquor, your 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 uh, responsibility as a liquor provider. Okay, and so you said liquor liability is not required. No, obviously it's highly suggested if you're in this business to have it because that's what's going to protect you. When I see the word host, sometimes I'll see host liability or host liquor liability. What does host liquor liability mean? The word host. So uh, when you have host liquor liability, that is reserved for when you do not sell the alcohol. You know, like when my wife goes to a boutique or go gets her hair done, she has a glass of wine. Okay. They gave her that wine. If she was to get drunk, let's just say they gave her four or five glasses because she likes to shop and she could be there for a while and she goes out and gets in a car accident, that's what's going to, when she says, yeah, I was at XYZ boutique and I have So that boutique wine, should have host liquor liability. It's built into your general liability. Okay. When, you don't, when you don't have liquor sales, but you provide liquor as a, a service, if you will, or, or a, a bonus, it's, it's provided automatically. Is that something you have to ask for? Or is it no, automatically it's, in it's, there? No, it's, it's part of it. So tell me, Matt, in addition to the liquor liability coverages and other things to, to protect hospitality establishments, what other insurances do you provide to go along with that, whether it's like building coverage or what other oh, things? Of course, there's property coverage. I did leave that out. There is property coverage, you know, whether it's you own the building, your contents, your business interruption, which what that does is it covers you if you're shut down for a covered peril, like say a fire or a hurricane if you have wind insurance. And while you're shut down, this helps you keep money coming in so that you're able to pay your bills and pay yourself because this is your job. This is your life. Sure. Um, and then, and like I mentioned before, you have cyber liability, EPLI. Um, I mean, those are the major ones. If someone came to me and said, Matt, insure me for everything, I'll, I'll take a lot of your money, but I still ain't going to be able to insure you for everything because sure. there's always something that could happen. Yeah. You know, I don't have any clients who buy terrorism coverage, for example. Yeah. What are the chances that happening? I don't have any clients who buy earthquake insurance or, or you know, of course, because we don't live anywhere near one. But, but nonetheless, that's to say an earthquake can't happen tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. What, what is your suggestion about people that have local establishments, restaurants, about getting flood insurance? You know, it, it was so sad when Harvey happened because I believe I read that 80% of the businesses that were affected by it did not have flood insurance. I had a fair number of clients who did not have flood insurance that were affected by it. Um, I expected to see an uptick in that, you know, where more people were going to buy flood, but unfortunately it did not happen. Um, not for, because I would have made more money cause they pay nothing practically, but because you, you know, don't want to see them. I don't want to see them taking a loss. It was, I'll, I'll tell you when hurricane Ike happened and, 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 uh, when Harvey happened, you know, there were a lot of claims that people didn't have the insurance that I told them to get, but they didn't listen, didn't get it, that I had to make the phone call and say, Hey, unfortunately you're not, you're not covered. covered and it left them in a lurch. But you know, I tried to get you to cover it, but you didn't want to. And I understand why it was an expense. You didn't think you would ever need or covered you to everything you need. I, you know, it's something since Harvey, I've always tell new clients and, and renewing clients. Do you want me to look at the flood for you? Um, it is smart to have, but it is depending on where you're at. It can be really cheap or it could be really expensive. If you're in a flood zone after Harvey, because of the losses that the insurance companies had rates went way up and it's not cheap anymore. What would be a range of what flood insurance would cost for a hospitality establishment? That's a tough one only because there's so many flood zones that, you know, it's, it, it could be as cheap as a few hundred dollars 
are as expensive as ten, twelve thousand dollars. I have, I have, yeah, a year. I have a client. He's right on to buy you. He pays, he pays uh, seven thousand for his building, and he pays almost ten thousand dollars for his contents and uh, and all that. Gotcha. Cool. What is your current service area right now in the Texas area? Well, we do all of Texas, and then we also write in Illinois. Uh, Louisiana, Ohio, and Arizona. And what's next for FMBIA? To keep growing those states, um, I've, I'm thinking about expanding into a couple other states uh, that are heavy in clubs. Those cl- those states happened by just chance. I had clients here that had client building. I mean, bars there. They asked me to insure them. I went and got my license and said, "What the heck? I'll do a little advertising." Well, tell me how how quick can you get liquor liability set up for somebody? Well. If you need it fast, I can get it in the same day uh, in some circumstances. I'll give you an example. One of my uh, bigger clients, Prospect Park, they have two locations, Fountain View and Willowbrook. They called me on a a Friday wanting to shop their insurance, and they renewed that evening. And within three, three and a half hours, I had them a quote that we went with. Okay. Um, Now, typically, I'd like a few days. But <laughs> sure. but if you're if you're needing insurance because you're opening tomorrow or your landlord just found out you don't have coverage, I can I a lot of uh, many times I can get it done in the in a day. Okay. So bottom line, somebody needs liquor liabi- liability. Somebody needs fucking a dude. Bottom line, somebody needs liquor liability. You can get them set up in a day. Yep. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show today, Matt, and uh, sharing the story, letting us have a little insight to the insurance business. You're doing big things. You're blowing this company up. Thanks for coming on. Of course. Uh, is there anything last that you'd want to recommend to somebody trying to get into this business? What would be some good advice for them? Patience. It does not come easy. I, I, I have to tell you, like I said, in my first year, I made $18,000 in the business. I don't think I made much more in my second year because one of the things I always, at least for me, and I, I can't say this for other agents, I don't sell insurance, I sell Matt. And by that I mean I sell relationships. And if you wanna be successful in this, you gotta realize that insurance is really at the end of the day, it's nothing different than a commodity. If you look at my policy compared to the other guy's policy, as long as they're ISO form policies, they're gonna read the same other, you know, other than maybe minor little tweaks, but more or, more, more or less they're gonna be the same. So you gotta do something that's gonna make you stand out. So for myself, I make sure all my clients know, call me on my cell phone. I don't care if it's two o'clock in the morning. And yes, I have gotten plenty of calls at two o'clock in the morning. I don't care if it's a Saturday or a Sunday. I, it doesn't matter. You're my, you know, you're my priority. And, it, and I build a relationship with my clients. I am happy to say that majority of my clients are actually friends of mine. They're not, they're not just people I take money from once a year. You know, I, I've been blessed with a, a, a kind of a keen memory to remember small details about people and I recognize voices right from the get go. So when someone calls, they don't, you know, it, it just feels, it feels like you're talking to a friend. You know, if you call me, I go, Hey Johnny, how's, you know, how's your daughter doing? You know, with, you know, if, let's say she played soccer in that soccer tournament. The last time we talked, that's going to make you feel like, Hey, Matt really gives it, you know, cares about what's going on in my life. You know, my father growing up, my father is one of the best salesmen I ever met in my life. He taught me that when you're in sales, you, you make the person your friend, then they're going to buy from you because people want to do business with friends. Absolutely. And so my biggest piece of advice, not just to someone getting into insurance, but someone getting into a service-based industry like 
insurance or finance or anything Could like be that. Anything. Build relationships with your clients because it's going to make it so much harder for them to leave you if they like you. I can't tell you how many clients I have, and it's not a dozen or two dozen. It's into the hundreds who have told me, Matt, I get offers all the time to quote my insurance. I won't even take their phone call because I like dealing with you. You get your work done. When I need something, you're there for me. But I feel like you and I you know, are friends. And I want absolutely. to do business with you. No, it's the same way. And that's why I've been using you for 20 years. Exactly. It's, been, it's been absolutely amazing. I can text you any hour of the night and you return my call or exactly. text immediately. And I mean, it's because, again, I'm selling a piece of paper that, let's be honest, you hope you never use. You don't sure. want to use insurance because if you used insurance, something bad's happened. So you want to feel like you got some value add out of it besides uh, peace of mind. And, and all that can be is me being there for you when you need me to and doing it with a smile and doing it quickly. Absolutely. Relationships. Exactly. That's what it's all about. All about. Well, Matt, I appreciate you coming on the show, boss. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, appreciate y'all tuning in. This is Matt Morgan with Food and Beverage Insurance Agency. You can find him at mybarnrestaurant.com. You can find us at The Grit on iTunes and all over the place. Be sure to subscribe, and we'll see you on the next one. Take care, guys. Thank you.